Hi there. My name is Mireya Perez, and I aspire to create a platform where language service providers can tell their stories and where listeners can find inspiration and creativity. This podcast is dedicated to you, the language professional that desires to listen to the journeys of others in order to create their own path and personal branding. Here, I'll feature an array of guests from all fields of interpretation, as well as translation, willing to share their stories with you. Join me as we embark on professional and personal development by telling our stories. This is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Hey there. I'm excited to announce a new series for season two of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth. Season two. Anyway, by now you've figured out that my podcast is all about helping share the stories of language professionals like you to help create your branding, your image, something that perhaps many of us don't relate as going hand in hand. But now that we've gotten to know each other a little bit more, I want to talk about the other stories, you know, the stories that we come across during our careers that we may not necessarily talk about for one reason or another. I have this crazy idea of giving you the platform to finally share that story and take it off your shoulders. And so, on season two of The Brand the Interpreter, I want to introduce Story Wednesdays. These will be special short episodes that will air in between my guest shows. I've created a full web page with specific instructions on how to submit your stories. These can be short stories of triumph, of pain, of trauma, of laughter, of joy, and yes, even those stories of injustices. You can choose to include your name or choose to submit anonymously. Story Wednesdays will not be about branding. It will be about sharing our stories. For more information, please visit my webpage at www.brandtheinterpreter.com Story Wednesdays. And now, on to the show. Hey guys, I'm so glad you're tuning in again. Thanks for joining me. On today's episode of Brand the Interpreter podcast, we have Natalia Abarca. Natalia Abarca is a program specialist for language services at the Orange County Department of Education in California, which serves 500,000 students and 27 school districts. She facilitates, leads, and manages the OCDE Multilingual Consortium, a professional network established in 2014 to support high-quality translation and interpreting services for Orange County schools and their surrounding areas. She has a BA in biology and a master's degree in coastal management from La Escuela Superior Politécnica del Litoral from Ecuador. She became a licensed trainer for the Community Interpreter Training Program in 2017 and obtained her medical interpreter certificate from Southern California School of Interpretation. Natalia is a member of the American Translators Association and serves at the Interpreters Leadership Council since 2019. She also serves as a member of the Steering Committee for the Interpreters and Translators in Education National Workgroup. 
Natalia facilitates the implementation of networks and leadership development and help builds capacity among multicultural staff. She is the main contact for the annual OCDE Interpreters and Translators Conference in Education, one of the most prestigious educational gatherings in Southern California. She is the originator of the Multilingual Award of Distinction, honoring interpreters and translators, community liaisons, clerks, secretaries, family advocates, and all bilingual personnel who have made a significant contribution towards connecting cultures through effective interpretation and translation. Her network developed several multilingual educational glossaries and the guidelines for school interpreters, a document that has been shared in the majority of school districts in Orange County and surrounding areas. Her team has also translated the California English Learner Roadmap, State Board of Education Policy, Educational Programs and Services for English Learners for California Department of Education in several languages the Local Control and Accountability Plan template in Spanish for the California Department of Education, and the Notice of Procedural Safeguards document used by all districts in Orange County for consistency. And the list goes on and on. So, without further ado, here's Natalia's story. Natalia, I want to take the opportunity to say thank you so much for being a part of this and for being willing to come on this platform and tell us your story. Well, thank you, Mireya. Uh, it's an honor for me to be here today. I'm super excited. Uh, I remember several of our conversations years ago, and look where you are, uh, being a host and the best host, and I'm super excited for what's coming and what's in <laughs> store here in the podcast. Thank you so much, Natalia. Let's go ahead and begin by sharing with our listeners who Natalia Barca is. Well, first, uh, Natalia Barca is a woman, is a strong Latina woman. I grew up in South America in Ecuador, and I was exposed to English at an early age. I was born in Connecticut. I, my parents lived there for 30 years. Uh, my dad uh, is a veteran of Vietnam. So after having my brother, my parents decided to go back to South America, to Ecuador, because life here in the States was a little bit complicated. So they decided to go back, came to the States every year to practice English. And I was exposed to be uh, interpreting at a very, very young age, like a lot of us have did it with my grandma, going with her to supermarkets, to shops, traveling with her. And I was her official interpreter at the time. I really did not know what I was doing. They just told me, you know what, you have to help grandma. And that's what I did. I got a degree as a marine biologist and I love what I was doing. I live in the beach. I work at the Galapagos Island. I, I really was, was super into the beach, resources, environment, and science. So I remember one day my sister was taking some English classes in a private institute and her teacher was sick. So she told the director, hey, my sister speaks English, so maybe she can help, you know, sobbing for a while. 
So I think I start things opposite. Like a lot of people here start speaking English or Farsi or, or French or Mandarin. So in my case, it was a little bit opposite. But back in the day, a lot of people did not spoke two languages. So here I am from day to night, subbing for an English teacher at, at a very, very basic level. I remember teaching colors and numbers and directions. It was the time that the big cruise ships came to Manta, Ecuador from the United States, like Royal Caribbean, like Cunard, and they needed bilingual tour guide. So I had a marine biologist background and I spoke English. So I was the perfect person to help providing language, access to all the tours that were coming to the port. So I am here being a tour guide for a bunch of people and I realized that I really love it. And I was super excited because I was able to talk about my daily routine at work, working in science and in coastal management to a group of people in English. In my case, it was more in the touristic field, so it was kind of fun. No training, no experience, no code of ethics, no consecutive or simultaneous. And by the day, the tips were very, very good. And I remember uh, one time I asked one of my tourists, I said, if I wanted to go to the United States and I want to find a job, what do you suggest me to do? And I remember he wrote a little piece of paper and he said, you have to go to www.monster.com and then you can find a job. Okay, so I put the little piece of paper in my passport and I left it there for years. Uh, I had the opportunity to go and live in Germany because uh, I did a, a training for over a year about coastal management in different regions. So it was a group of 20 students from different undeveloped countries and we were all invited to go to Germany to share our best practices in coastal management. So because I, I had experience working in Galapagos, uh, a lot of the grant money that was going to be allocated, it was a very, very potentially uh, the opportunity that we were going to get the money for Ecuador, right? So we presented our project and sure enough, our project was one of the 20 ones that were selected to work during that year that we were in Germany. So again, I had experience, you know, not understanding anything of German. Uh, I exactly knew what it felt to not know how to say, I would like to have a sausage. I would like to have a beer. I would like to get a, a, a movie ticket. And it was very, very frustrating. So believe it or not, even if you have gestures, if you use your hands, if you have a dictionary, it's very, very frustrating when you cannot even open your mouth and ask for basic things. Yeah, especially so, yeah. a beer. <laughs> <laughs> of course, right? I just remember I beer evite. Please, that was it, right? <laughs> so, anyways, it was interesting, but you know, you don't realize how important it is to speak another language because I spoke English and Spanish. I thought that was it. But here I am in Germany, in a country where it was a totally different culture, and I did not understand a single word. Let's stop so, real quick right there, Natalia, just yes. for a brief moment. Let's look a little deeper into this experience in Germany. Now, the people that you were presenting to, were they English speaking or what was the common language that you were using with them? Or was there an interpreter there for you guys? Well, this is a very, very good question. So the training was fully in English. So part of the requisites the, the, that we needed to have in order to attend the training is that we needed to be English speakers. And the first two months, they gave us intensive German so we could kind of survive, right? Like the basic things that you can go to a supermarket, that you can buy a plane ticket, super basic. 
but we all divided. Normally, you, you're very familiar with the people that you, they speak the same language that you speak. So the people from South America, we were always together. The people from the Philippines, they were always together. Right, the people right. that spoke, you know, different languages, you know, from Indonesia, from the Philippines, they were always together. So it was very interesting because even though we did not spoke the same language, English was the language that we were learning on, but it was not our strongest language. So then it came the cultural piece that, you know, we were all separated from our families. We were all in a different country. We were all in the state that we were missing our normal life, our food. And we were all together to learn the same curriculum that it was a very, very nice opportunity for us to bond as friends. We are friends until today. And we had a lot of cultural experiences and exchange of foods and recipes and, and religious stuff. Uh, I remember when we had the group of people that they were fasting like since 4 a.m. in the morning. And then we had to go to classes at 8. But, you know, but, you know we have to be respectful of the different environments and the different uh, religions that you're exposed to. I believe that that year in Germany really shaped our lives and, and changed our lives forever. Because I started seeing the world in a different way. I, I was exposed to different things. I had an accident there, but that's another podcast. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> it was a very, very interesting situation because I thought, well, I come from Ecuador. I know Spanish. This is an undeveloped country. And, you know, we are all friends. We come from the beach. But going to, um, to Europe and, and living day by day in a different culture with another language it was super, super difficult. I remember the first time that I went to a supermarket, I wanted to get milk. And then in Germany, the milk has a percentage. So you will see 10%, 50%, 25%, 30%. But it means that one can be a heavy cream. The other one can be uh, <laughs> with no fat-free milk. So it was desperate. I, I really, and by the day, we didn't have a cell phone. So it's not like I could Google it and know what it meant. <laughs> So it was very, very, it was interesting. It was nice. It was exciting. You know, you're young and everything, but it was a very, very good experience for me to be exposed to the change, to be adaptable and to learn, you know, that maybe today we're not going to be eating A or B, C thing because we don't know how to express ourselves. Or maybe, you know, everything was closed on Sundays and everything, they sell everything like in, in little units. So here you go to Costco and you buy everything in bulk. So it was a big change for, for us when we were exposed to that experience in Germany. I came to the States. I love my life in Ecuador. And I came to the States and I left everything, my career, my family, because I fell in love. And I fell in love with a man and he is from Ecuador too. So I decided to come here to the United States, uh, you know, to pursue happiness. And, you know, you think when you're in love that everything is going to be easy. And when I came, it was super hard for me to find a job in the marine biologist arena. Everything was, you know, you needed to have a degree in science. You needed to have a master's program. The laws were different. Regulations were different. The curriculum was different. I had great recommendations from amazing people. I remember going to San Diego to the scripts. I remember going to Long Beach to, to Noah, and nothing was happening, you know. So here I am with my resume, knocking doors and doors, and nothing happened. And then I realized that I was living in Orange County, California, and I realized that you have to have a job here because everything was expensive. I have never had an experience working in the United States. So working in South America is another story. You know, I knew what I did. I went to school there. 
I, I have friends there, so it's a different dynamic. But coming here to the States, it was another story. So then I remember applying and applying, applying to monster.com and applying and applying and nothing happened and nothing happened. So I ended up go, uh, working for um, a company that hires temporary employees. So, you know, those are the assignments that they give you one month and then you leave. And then if a secretary is sick, you fill in for her and then you move and you leave. So it wasn't nothing stable. So I remember somebody called me and they say, you know what? They need you to work at a school and they have a project for you. So you need to have a TV test. And, you know, and if everything comes clean, you can start working on Monday. So long story short, I end up starting, I worked for a school and it was one of the Orange County Department of Education schools. And they'd say, well, Natalia, we have here this big project for you. So when I was working in Ecuador, I was so used to working for big projects, right? It was like grand money. So you have to apply, you have to have, you know, an objective and you have to have terms of reference and then, which is going to be, you know, the stakeholders that are going to be involved and which are going to be the communities that are going to be benefiting from, you know, from the money that this organization is going to give you. So in my mind was like, okay, so what is the target? How much is the amount of money? You know, what is the topic? Is this going to be like science, environment? I don't know. And they gave me a big box and they say, we have this project for you. We want you to start filing from A to C all the paperwork from the students. So I'm like, sure, I will start doing my project, right? And then I realized that here, a project can be anything. <laughs> a project <laughs> can be cleaning my house. A project can be, you know, filing my own paperwork. So Any size. <laughs> exactly. So in my mind, a project was like a big, big project where, you, where, where budget is involved, right? When personnel is involved. And then they move you to a different... Um, location. And then I remember I went to the budget office and then I remember I moved, you know, to instructional services, but I was a 10. I remember meeting a girl in one of the, in the budget office. And I said, you know what? I'm super excited. I really love working here. So do you think I have a chance to, you know, to become a full-time employee? And she said, well, you have to apply. And I was like, how can I apply? Because they told me that if I'm a part-time person, you know, and if I am in probation, they can offer me a full time. So she said, no, honey, this is how you have to do it. And I remember, I think I applied and I had like maybe more than 20 interviews and everybody will say no. So I applied to be a buyer. I thought everybody buys at Amazon, so I can buy two, nothing. <laughs> I, I wasn't qualified. Then I thought I can be a secretary. No, you're not qualified. Then I thought, well, maybe I can do accounting. No, you're not qualified. So it was super frustrating because I had all this degree and all this background from South America. And I used to manage all these big projects that I thought I, 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 I'm able, I'm capable to do something, right? But it was super hard, different, you know, I never had experience working here in the States. So, of course, my references were harder to get. I remember somebody gave me an opportunity and they finally hired me as a secretary. So my first, my first weeks working, it, they were super, super hard because I was receiving my, the direction from my coordinators in English. And I received the message in English, and then I was thinking in Spanish, and then there was the, the answer came in Spanish, and then I had to speak in English. So then is when I started realizing how hard it is to interpret the message in your mind and give a response in less than a minute, right? So I remember taking notes of everything. So I would just take notes of the words, the way they sounded, even if they were not correctly written, but I didn't, you know, I wanted to understand the messaging. So here I have words like mileage, 
like POs, like PRs, like print shops. And I had no idea what they meant. And then I realized that I'm working in education where we have so many acronyms. And that added another layer for my anxiety, right? (laughs) And I had no idea what they meant. But I thought, you know what, Natalia, you wanted to have a, a, a real job. So you have to do your homework. So I started researching and I started, you know, understanding how the organization work and the mission and the vision and the schools and the names and what, you know, what PR standed for. So I kind of started learning, you know, has I got the job and the position, but it was super hard for me because it was the language change that I had to have in my mind, right? And of course, you have a headache the first six months, and then you're in probation. So I remember seeing uh, a lot of flyers coming to me. I did not know that in my organization, they had bilingual employees to do all the bilingual translations. So I remember seeing a lot of documents coming in front of me. But you know, when you're new to the country, and then you're new to a job, and you're new to a culture, you don't even know where you're fitting. You're not ni de aquí ni de allá. Neither from here nor there, a Spanish expression commonly used by individuals that belong to two different cultures, yet do not fully identify with either. I wasn't like sure what I was doing. Who should I talk to? You know, can you can you tell your boss some things or not? It was super, super uh interesting the way I needed to adjust because I really wanted a job, but I'm also super respectful of the place where I am. So I was like, I don't think it's okay for me to ask, you know, your bosses or your superiors or your supervisors on what things meant. So I remember I had a problem with the word clarification. We had a big, big event and I didn't, and I think I wasn't sure if I needed to bring some boxes in a classroom or some boxes outside the classroom, right? And I remember a supervisor asked me, she said, well, why don't you ask your, your coordinator for, for some clarification? And I remember saying, oh, no, 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 it's okay. I cannot ask for clarification. And she was like, but it's okay. You know, you can just ask them to clarify where do they want the boxes, inside or out of the classroom. And I'm like, well, no, because in, in, in Ecuador, if I'm going to clarify something for you, that's like a disrespectful thing. So I rather don't say anything. And then is when I realized, where, wow, there's a lot of words that they mean different things here that in Spanish maybe be something too strong or maybe mean something different. And maybe here it is just totally fine to ask. I need for a clarification, right? So then, you know, little things like that start um, coming to my mind and I start facing situations like that on a daily basis. And I learned so much about how the culture work and how, you know, different backgrounds, different organizational cultural work. And then remembering my days in Germany and then remembering my days in South America, I started, you know, making a connection. Wow, you know, this is important. So, well, I remember seeing one time a flyer and it was something that they were translating for a school or something. And I remember that I study in a Catholic school with the nuns. And I don't know for some of, of the speakers, if you have gone to a Catholic school with nuns for 12 years, in Ecuador, they are very, very highly educated and grammar comes first. So I remember I could not have make any mistake with any accent mark because I was in big trouble. So I remember the accent marks were like a big, big strength that all the students from the school had. So when I saw the flyer, I saw that an accent mark was missing. And I think it was in the word education, education. And it was like a no, no, like you cannot write that word with no accent mark. 
And then I remember asking my supervisor, my supervisor, and I said, you know what? Uh, I'm noticing that this word needs an accent mark, but I don't want to, you know, step on anybody's toes, just letting you know for whatever the flyer is going to go out, uh, we just have to make the change. So she was like, oh, thank you so much for noticing that. You know what, Natalia, maybe you can help us with the translations in Spanish. So I'm like, sure, why not, right? So then I felt like I was contributing something more and something different. So I never realized that because I spoke uh, highly academic Spanish, it was going to bring me a career back here in the United States. I think that's um, part of the stories that when we talk about our story, it sounds like this is the this is the moment of turning point where that mention of that missing accent mark is about to lead you into your future career. Um, I'd like to actually touch on that now and for us to go into what do you currently do for OCDE? And for those uh, listeners that are unfamiliar with OCDE, it's Orange County Department of Education in Southern California. Correct, Natalia? Yes, that's correct. Well, actually, uh, I am a program specialist for language services, and I provide support for interpreters and translators in the county. So we are in charge of providing language access for the 500,000 students that we have. So what I do basically at OCDE is uh, I am in charge of a multilingual consortium, which is a professional network for interpreters and translators. And we meet on a regular basis to share best practices. And at the beginning, we started the network in 2014 and nothing was in place. So a lot of the times we listen that interpreters are working in isolation and that we have, you know, sometimes we have a unit, sometimes we have a mini department, sometimes it's only us working. So in this network, we invite everybody and everybody comes and we decide, you know, what is needed. So I remember the first meeting that we had, to be honest, I knew I needed to meet with interpreters and translators and bilingual staff here in Orange County and kind of ask them what they needed and what they wanted to do and in which ways we as a county office could support them. So the first meetings at the beginning, you know, everybody was like a little bit um, shy and sharing their stories and sharing their needs. They did not know what they really, what they were expecting. So we had some people sharing that uh, we needed consistency. We needed documents. We needed glossaries. We need resources. For example, you are translating the word high school and then you use secundary and then I'm using bachillerato. So which one is the best word to use? And and a lot of examples like that came up. And then also people wanted professional development and people wanted recognition and people wanted to talk to each other. I know that now, especially nowadays, we're doing a lot of virtual things. But again, we need the in-person communication, the in-person support, right? I'm working on this document. How are you translating these words? Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? So the network at the beginning, the first year, we developed a, a glossary for general educational terminology in five different languages. Because the beauty of Orange County is that we have 62 languages that are spoken in our schools. So our network has people from maybe eight or nine different languages that come together. So it's not only Spanish, we 
told all our meetings in English, but a lot of the work is done in different languages. So sometimes we have the Arabic speaker, the Arabic interpreter, the Arabic community liaison that he, this person that doesn't have anybody else to bet their work, to see their work. So you find the same, the, another person that has the same position in another district office. So they connect, they network, and they can share resources. So that's what we do at the consortium. After we start building glossaries, people start sharing, you know what, Natalia, we don't have a code of ethics for interpersonal education and, and, and we don't know, you know, what should we follow? So we decided to work on the guidelines for school interpreters, which is a document that mirror a little bit of the code of ethics for health interpreters and for legal interpreters. So it's just a guideline as a county office. We are just a suggestion that we have, but it's something that we have in place for people to follow when you're working in schools. Then another thing that we found in the consortium is that not everybody is an interpreter and not everybody is a translator. You have a community liaison, you have a parent advocate, you have a bilingual secretary, you have a bilingual aide. And all of these people are serving as interpreters and translators at some point. And then you have the people that are trained, and then you have the people that they are not trained, right? And then you have people that they are highly, highly qualified, but at the same time, you have people that they are willing to do their work, but they have never had the opportunity to be trained. Here at the consortium, uh, we develop a super, super nice network. It's one of the most rewarding things that I have ever done in my life is putting people together and sharing their experiences and walking together with them in the same journey. Every year, we kind of do an assessment on what is needed and what do you want and how can we help you for the following year. So our formats kind of change. So I remember they telling me, you know what, Natalia, we want to be recognized. We want to be validated. We are valuable. You know what? The same way that you're recognizing teachers, we wanted to be recognized. And I remember I came to my boss and I said, you know what? All our interpreters and our translators and our bilingual staff, they want to go to the board and they want to say, to be recognized. They want to be acknowledged. So can we do like an interpreter of the year award? Can do we do like a bilingual staff award or something? So my leader said, why not? Let's do a, you know, an, a multilingual award of distinction. So this is our fourth year. We already have given the award to six people, six amazing, amazing interpreters and translators in Orange County. And we are recognizing them. So what do we want? We want people to feel, feel value, validated. You know, you are worth it. You are super important. And with that, districts are growing and the work is better and people are working not in isolation. I want to stop you real quick right there, Natalia, and be able to give a little bit more context about the organization that you're working for. You just did mention that Orange County Department of Ed services over 62 languages countywide, correct? Uh, yes. You have over 500,000 students. Is this correct that you're servicing? Yes. How many school districts does Orange County Office of Ed service? Yes, we have 27. 27 school districts. And so classified personnel, as well as certificated personnel. And for those that aren't familiar with the education lingo, classified is it's a non-certificated role in the school districts, correct? This is uh, no license required. And then the certificated positions are those that require of a license or a certification. Did I define that correctly, Natalia? Yes. And so in your scope of work and those that you are servicing with the multilingual consortium, you are working with both 
certificated and classified staff. So that means that you can have program directors, administrators, as well as the classified staff, such as the school liaisons, bilingual school secretaries, and a lot of other type of jobs, correct? Yes, that is correct. We have at our consortium meetings a little bit of everything. I had directors come in. I have coordinators. I have teachers. I have teachers in special assignments. I have interpreters. I have translators. I have secretaries. And I have even people that are coming out of Orange County. I have people coming from Lingwood, coming from Vista, from San Diego, from Oceanside, from Riverside, from LA, from Long Beach. From you know, we are. A, receiving everybody that is in the surrounding areas that you want to network and you want to, you know, have a platform of learning. So this year with the consortium where we are changing a little bit our model is that we are doing like many professional development sessions. So like I will invite a guest speaker and they will come and they will talk about note-taking. Or we have a, we do panels. For example, we had a panel about mental health and how does mental health looks in your schools? Because my ultimate goal is to provide equity and access for all. So all of our bilingual staff, we are all educators. And we need to know what's happening in our schools. We need to know the topics. We need to know the frameworks. We need to know what Common Core is. We need to know what multi-tier systems of support stands for. We need to know... Uh, what are the, the latest social emotional learning practices that are out there? Because the minute that we're going to be interpreting for a family, we need to know all the subjects. We need to learn about the vocabulary and, and the terminologies that are taking place in those meetings because those are big and important meetings. But if we are not aware of all the programs and all the services that our schools are providing to our students, our job is not going to be as successful as if we have access to all this information. And I've been fortunate enough that I've been part of the educational services division where we are exposed to learning on what is an LCAP and what is state frameworks for family engagement or for English learners or how it's going to look like now the new math curriculum. So with all of this uh, information that I've been so fortunate to receive, it is easier for me to guide county employees and district employees on best practices. So something that I really would like to build now, and this is like my project for next year, is that I want to build capacity in-house. You know, we have amazing, amazing interpreters and translators, and every school district is different. We have a school district that have more Asian population. We have school districts that have more Latino population. So the way we work is different. So we have districts that they have four or five interpreters, translators part-time. We have districts that they have to have outside language services providers that they contract with, or we have districts that they do not have like a person only in the district. We have some schools that they have people going to different schools. So every, every school district looks a little bit different, but we have amazing work going on in Orange County. So this year we want to build that capacity in those best practices. I do just want to mention that I can definitely attest to all the great work that happens at Orange County Department of Education because we're always uh, looking for more PD and OCDE is definitely the place to go for translators and interpreters in the field of education. I want to take us back a little bit, Natalia. Take us back to when you decided that the multilingual consortium was a need. Did something happen? Was there a challenge or an obstacle that you were faced with that gave you the real 
realization of having to put something like this together? Do you remember? Yes. Well, there are two things. First, uh, when I was hired for my position, my previous boss, she was the one that had the idea of having a multilingual consortium. She came from uh, Fallbrook, so they had a consortium in San Diego, I believe, in the past. But I don't know for what reason it, it was not so successful. So when I was hired, she was the one that told me, Natalia, we have to have this consortium. It's good. You have to support bilingual employees. And kind of it was her idea. However, she got a promotion and she left the organization a year after. So I am here with a new consortium and, and my, my director leaves and I'm thinking, okay, so what's next? I have to do something, right? Because I have to make it work. So the moment when I thought it was going to be a challenge is when I thought, how can I transfer the skills of being a marine biologist and working in coastal management in South America? how I'm going to transfer those skills here in Orange County, right? Working with interpreters and translators. And I remember I had a colleague and she asked me, Natalia, what are the strategies that you're using? Because people really want to come to the consortium meetings. And I thought, well, I got all the training in South America. And I know here at OCD, they train us with different management techniques. You know, we have a Garmstrom techniques and they teach you how to pause, how to facilitate and how to have all these difficult conversations, right? And how to work with teams. But then I thought, you know what? I am transferring my skills from South America. So instead of working with coastal authorities, I'm working with educational authorities. Instead of working with fishermen, I'm working with interpreters and translators. Instead of working with little communities and working with little with cities instead of working with different countries because I did some international work and working with different county offices of education so the moment when I thought we need to make this work and we need to make it happen is when I started hearing that people had a voice and they wanted to be recognized and they needed something they needed to belong somewhere and they wanted to be heard and they wanted to be valued. So I remember when we had transitions moving from departments to departments, like every organization goes through, you know, different transition changes. I thought, I don't want this to die. And I remember I had the opportunity to do my meetings online. And I said, no, I want them in person because people need to come and see, you know, who you are, what you're doing. So the moment when people start developing glossaries and the moment when people start responding to the service that we created and the moment that people were receptive to the work we did is when I thought, you know what, this has to continue. So I remember that, um, and maybe this goes to the, to the question you just asked, I remember I was trying to find some professional development for myself, you know, because I am here in a new position and I wanted to give the best of, of what I could. And I remember the only uh, professional development opportunity that I found was the American Translator Association uh, Conference. And back, I think it was like four or five years ago, it was in Miami and it was expensive. And I thought they're not going to approve me to go there and it's far and who knows. So I let it pass. And then I remember they were having the conference again in San Francisco. So I went already in the position like for a year and a half. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask. So I remember I asked for permission and they say, sure, you have to go. You have to, you know, get this professional development. So it was the moment when I thought, you know, and I went to ATA and I was like a little girl in Disneyland. 
with a candy shop and they tell you you can have all the candy you want and you can eat all the ice cream you want and you can have all the chocolate you want and everything is paid for. So I remember going to ATA and it was such a big conference. It was an amazing opportunity. It had a lot of international speakers and attendings that I was like eager to learn more. And I remember going to sessions and then I remember going to the vendor's pavilion and then I remember they had like a job fair and they have coffee and they have like, you know, let's exchange our dictionaries. So it was really a big, highly qualified, professional development conference and, and, and venue to learn, but it was super expensive. So then I thought, you know what? I can bring this to the county, right? So I remember coming from ATA and I told my boss, why don't we do a conference here in, in, in Orange County? And she was like, you know what? That's a good idea. But here it is, right? Like somebody was mentioning, you know, like like the fears, you know, like 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 the bad voices that say, no, you cannot do it. Don't do it. And she that said, imposter she, syndrome. The, the, exactly, the imposter syndrome. <laughs> like, how many people do you think are going to come to the conference? And I said, well, if I had like 30, 35 coming to the consortium, maybe a hundred. And I said a hundred, like super, super like scared thinking, I don't think I'm going to get a hundred people coming to a conference for interpreters. But I thought, you know what? I, I'm just going to say it out there and it's fine. And I told my boss, we don't have a budget. And she said, don't worry. If you tell me that you're going to bring a hundred people together, let's give it a try. So here I am looking at all my notes and checking at all my cards with all the people that I knew and all the people that I met. And I said, you know what, let's just, have, let's do it. So we have an amazing events team. We have um, uh, directors and coordinators. And I was part of the services for language learners department by the time. So I had a lot of colleagues that they were involved in the dual immersion programs and developing a Spanish curriculum. So I thought, you know what, what do you guys think? And everybody was like, don't worry, we're going to help you. It's going to happen. So the day comes and instead of having a hundred people, we had 210 people coming and register. So I remember exactly that day when people were like, Natalia, one more space, one more space. And I was like, sure, you can stand. It's okay. You can stand. And then I remember when, when facilities came and they say, Natalia, we have a fire code. We cannot get more people in here. And I'm like, <laughs> It's the first time we're having this conference. It's going to be super important. So what we, want, what we did at the county office was we have to build awareness. This is who we are, and these are the, the, the employees that you have and the programs that you have. So what's coming next? So the first step was building awareness. So we did one strand for interpreters and one strand for translators. I did not know what to expect. I did not know what was going to happen. I did not know... Um, the reaction of people, right? But we wanted to build awareness. You know, it's an interpreting field and it's a translation field because a lot of people mix the two terms. And so we have to start educating ourselves, right? So after having 210 people coming to the conference, it was amazing. It was, it was exciting seeing the smiles and the faces of everybody. And everybody was like, thank you, thank you, thank you, Natalia. We have never had an opportunity to go to a professional development day like this. Of course, we brought uh, Marjorie Bancroft. We brought Giovanna Carriero Contreras. We brought, they are the authors of the community interpreter uh, curriculum. But, you know, just knowing that people from the outside are doing this as a profession and this is who you are. You're a professional working in the field. So it was, it was amazing. It was a super, super good turnout. And then in our second year, we had like 270 people. And again, 
super good. We had a, a excellent, excellent uh, speakers too. I remember bringing a lady from Washington that she talks about bias and implicit bias. We had a legal counsel talking about I, the IP process. We have Catherine Allen also talking about more skill development. The second year, we kind of knew a little bit more of what we wanted. So we did three strands, one for interpreters, the other one for translation. And then we did this one for the legal terminology. And then with 270 people, our conference campus was so small that we had to go to a hotel. So then last year, we had a conference in September at the Hilton in Irvine, and we had 350 people from 14 states and for six, from 60 school districts, and it was one of the best experiences that I ever had. I know that sometimes we have, like you said, the imposters on us, and I'm conscious and I'm aware that I have an accent in English, and I remember a lady coming to me saying, you know what, Natalia? If you have an accent, if you speak in front of all these people, I can do it. She said, you are the best, best role model that I can have. And that really made my day. Because sometimes we are fearful of doing things wrong. I have done a lot of things wrong. I have made a lot of mistakes. And it's not easy for me to stand in front of 350 people, you know, giving a speech in a language that is not your language, making mistakes and being aware I speak super fast. And I say mistakes are not listening when you speak so fast. But having somebody from the audience coming in, she has been in, in education and interpreting like for more than 20 years, telling me, Natalia, I, I, I really appreciate the fact that you're standing out there speaking to all these people. It really made my day. Our goal is to provide professional development opportunities for interpreters and translators that are working in schools. Uh, our goal is to provide skill development. Our goal is to have more trained bilingual staff. Like you are aware, you know, we don't need to have a degree in interpretation or translation to work in schools, but we do need to know what we are doing. That's one of the reasons why I became community interpreter a trainer, because when I took the 40-hour trainings in Maryland, I came back and I told my boss, I don't even know what I was doing before. You know, we have to give this training to as many people as we can, at least to have an idea on how to have this communicative autonomy sense of what I'm saying, right? I'm the voice, but I'm not going to add or omit or delete anything that the parent, the mom, or the principal or teachers are saying because the interpreter is the voice. So it has been a very rewarding experience. It has been a very interesting journey and I love it. I, I think one of the successes has been that I had 100% of support of my leaders. I have 100% support of my administrators, of my directors, and that makes a huge difference. So I share my message, directors meetings, and I share my message with the classified staff meetings. And we're all talking the same language. And something that I really want to share is that, especially what was happening in this past couple of weeks with COVID-19, uh, we have developed a lot of multilingual resources for parents and for teachers. And we are in direct contact with our media department and with our cabinet representatives. And, and, and that's the way it should be. And, and you feel supported 100%. So I feel that that is one of the most rewarding pieces of the work we are doing right now. And if we have the buy-in from our administrators, then our journey can be easier. Because I know that a lot of us are struggling and a lot of our administrators don't get it, right? But it's our role to educate them because they know that we are going to provide the best service we can when we feel those supports. I want to touch a little bit on just to give our listeners a bit of a timeline as to how long this project or rather these projects have 
taken. And these projects on a grand level, uh, by the way, Natalia, right? These are not the filing projects. These are actual major projects that are happening in OCDE. When you began your journey with the Orange County Department of Ed, do you remember what year that was? I started with the consortium in 2014. So you started with the consortium in 2014. What year did the Translators and Interpreters Conference begin? In 17. 17 was year one, 2018 was year two, 2019 was year three, and this year is going to be our fourth annual conference. Our fourth annual conference this year, yes, and hopefully everything uh, returns back to what our version of normal is so that we can be able to attend this great conference. But I just kind of wanted to give a sense of a time frame to the listeners because you start your journey in 2014 and Three years later, you launch OCDE's first Interpreters and Translators Conference, specifically targeted towards interpreters, bilingual staff performing the duties of interpreters in education. And every year thereafter, it has grown to what it currently is. Could you share a little bit for those listeners that aren't familiar with the conference? who you had this year come out and be speakers at your event? Yes. So um, in my first year, I had Marjorie Bancroft and Giovanna Carrillo Contreras. They are the co-authors of the Community Interpreting Curriculum. Then in my second year, I had Catherine Allen. I had uh, Lisa Salzman and I had Sherry Wilson. They also uh, are amazing speakers and nationally recognized. Last year, we had Barry Olson. And we had, again, Catherine Allen, we had Daniel Tamayo, I had Milena Calderari Waldron, and I had Helen Eddy. A lot of the people that I'm mentioning, they are top-notch, international recognized interpreters, translators, trainers, right? So my idea and my goal was to bring, you know, highly qualified trainers to the county so people can realize how important the work it is. So this year, we are bringing Ewando Melgares, uh, who just did a TED Talk in France, and he's a conference interpreter from Brazil. And also, we are bringing uh, Holly Nicholson. She is the person that developed all the curriculum for legal interpreters. We are bringing Esther Hermida, which is a coach uh, interpreter. Uh, She has worked in a lot of things with uh, voiceovers. Also, we are bringing uh, Fernando Rodriguez Valls from Cal State Fullerton to share with us a little bit about the cultural piece, right? He teaches uh, bilingual teachers in Cal State Fullerton. And we're also bringing Dr. Natalie Tran with Asian languages because we have so many Asian languages represented. Again, we have Daniel Tamayo. He's a, he was a professor in, in, in the University of Pomona. And we are bringing Julia Andreotti. Again, she was part of uh, developing the ATA test to be a certified translator. So what I'm trying to to say is that we are bringing people that have been recognized, that have been doing amazing work around the educational and interpreting field to share their expertise with our community. And that's our goal. We wanted to make it meaningful. We know that sometimes it is hard to move out and go to other places. But if we can bring this unique professional learning day for everyone, I think we all win. So if we started with a one-day conference. Last year was a one-day and a second day was like a test. This year we're doing a, a two-day conference again. 
I'm also going to include a strand for sign language because we have also like 15 schools, Orange County serves for the deaf of heart and hearing. And that's another part of the goal for the conference to grow more. And that's kind of like the journey. That's kind of the exciting part of, of, of the conference. And I have received support from everybody. We have our vendors that are coming with us for the fourth year in a row. And, and I'm very, very fortunate and lucky that every time that I share the experience about the conference and I'm trying to reach out to speakers, everybody is in. Everybody, you know, is like super receptive people are coming back and people are referring me to other people to come and help me. So, so I think also making good connections and good relationships. Like I say, this is for everybody. You know, if somebody wants to present, like I remember when I invited you to come and present to a conference and how, how exciting it was in, in, in the great reviews you had. And, and, you know, and that's what I'm super excited to be here today with you in this podcast, because I remember it was a conversation we had. So <laughs> the same thing that happened, I'm, that's what, that's my goal, to find more Mireyas that I know we have them, and I want them to present at the conference. And then I want them to, you know, to show the amazing work we are doing, and we can all do this together. We can share, you know, a model that you're using and a model that maybe another school district is using, and we can all learn from each other. For those of you that have not yet made the connection, Natalia is the person that I talk about that pushed me out of my comfort zone and that added me to the agenda and basically convinced me to get in front of an audience. And so if you've not already made the connection, um, Natalia Varca is the person. <laughs> yes. And I remember exactly. It's like what you're doing to me right now. I'm nervous because I know English is not my first language. So I'm being aware of, you know, my accent and everything. But I remember clearly that day that we just had a conversation and you were like, no, I don't think I can do it. And I'm like, well, I don't accept the no for an answer. And you were giving me all these excuses and I would say, yes, no, 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 no. And you're in the program, so you're it. <laughs> and I'm super excited because it was one of the best presentations and breakouts that we had. Thank you, Natalia. That was definitely a turning point for me and uh, that experience thanks to that opportunity, has led me to where we're currently at now with the brand, The Interpreter. So uh, that will always be embedded in my memory for years to come. I'd like to now transition into my favorite question, which has to do with inspiring others. Because you do inspire much in others, such as the experience that you just recently had with someone coming up to you. Even though that's perhaps not your intention, your intention from those of us that have worked with you is always to give, to give to others and be able to give them the opportunities and the tools that they need to feel confident about the work that they do. And so for those of us that have had the opportunity to work with you, we know that you do your job simply to give, not necessarily to inspire. But I think that in doing so, it basically is what happens. You end up inspiring others. But if you could intentionally put something out there and give something away to someone that is just starting, what recommendation would you give to them? Well, so the first thing that I would like to uh, tell the people that are just starting is always believe in yourself, right? Always believe in yourself, try hard, get training, learn, ask as many questions as you have, find a mentor, find a coach, find that person that is going to tell you, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. 
and believe in yourself. Like I, to be honest, I never thought that because I spoke Spanish, it was going to bring me a career back. And I am super happy to say that I love what I do. I love my job. Every day is different. Every day is a new challenge. But just seeing the families I'm serving and the students that I'm serving and that every student can succeed here in Orange County, it's my goal. Like, like I, we can all do it. You know, you don't have a challenge. You don't have a problem. We can all do it. If, if I can do it, you can do it, and everybody else can do it. Of course, it takes time. I had to study again. I went to college again. I had to learn English again. I became a medical interpreter in a year. I remember listening to audios and videos at 10 p.m. on Fridays when everybody was kind of having fun and having family dinners. But invest in yourself, believe in yourself, right? We, uh, a lot of the times we feel that we cannot do it, but yes, we can, you know, and it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel that you cannot do it anymore, but there's a lot of people out there that are willing to help. I had a lot of angels helping me. I had people helping me doing my resume. I had people helping me bridging my experience with coastal management, with my, 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 my current experience with interpreting and translating. I had people helping me cry when I wanted to cry. I had people telling me it's okay to feel. I had people telling me, yes, you can do it. I had people telling me, you know what, you're not doing this right. You have to, you know, be better at this other thing. But I always, you know, and always finding a balance, your family, uh, God, uh, taking care of yourself. I also remember one of your colleagues, Mireya, telling me you have to take care of yourself. And that is true. But believe in yourself. Do Be passionate for what you do. Whatever you want to do, do it with passion. Do it with love. Do it with, with the sense of, like you said, of serving. I just really feel that, that all of our students can be successful or our families can be served if, if we provide the proper language access opportunities for them. I want to take the opportunity to thank you, Natalia, for accepting the invitation, for being on this platform, despite your nervousness. Uh, and thank you so much for being here today. Also, where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? Yes, they can go to the Orange County Department of Education website. It's www.ocde.us. And uh, you can find us under Student Achievement and Wellness. And we are part of the Interpreters and Translators uh, work group. Do you have a date scheduled for this year's Interpreters and Translators Conference? Yes, we do. September 25 and 26. 2020 is going to be in the same location at the Hilton Irvine. We are going to have a wandro. We are going to have an opportunity for book signing. Uh, we are going to have also Holly Nicholson talking a little bit about how can you get ready for the ATA exam. And I really, really hope to see all of you there. I want to encourage you there. I want to invite you, Mireya, with your podcast there too. Uh, I think it's an amazing opportunity to make connections and networks and, and see amazing work we're all doing. Yes, most definitely. Natalia, once again, thank you so very much for having joining us and I hope you're safe out there and uh, we'll see you soon. You too. Thank you so much for inviting me. And again, this was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Natalia Abarca is a phenomenal woman. I truly hope that once our world has healed from this pandemic, you get the opportunity to attend OCDE's Interpreters and Translators Conference and get the chance to meet her in person. Tell her you heard her story here, and hey, who knows, you may be one of their next speakers. I also want to take this opportunity to thank those of you that have thrown shoutouts my way, letting me know you're enjoying the content in the podcast. 
I hope to continue bringing valuable information and that I continue hearing from you on social media. That's all I've got for you guys today. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time. Bye-bye.